This is Democracy. A podcast about the people of the United States. A podcast about citizenship. About engaging with politics and the world around you. A podcast about educating yourself on today's important issues. And how to have a voice in what happens next. Welcome to our new episode of This is Democracy. This week, we're going to talk about city leadership. Cities have always been one of the core actors in our democracy. In some ways, they are the legs on which our democratic edifice stands. And now more Americans live in cities than any other form of uh, municipal existence in our society. Uh, Cities are crucial to our democracy. And we're today joined by the recent mayor of Austin, Texas, which is one of the fastest growing cities in the country, one of the most dynamic cities in the country, a mayor who has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly over the last few years and uh, has uh, generously agreed to talk to us about how democracy works at the city level. This is none other than Steve Adler, who was the mayor of Austin, Texas from 2015 to 2023. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Jeremy, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Before he was mayor of Austin, Texas, uh, Steve Adler was a prominent lawyer working in the areas of eminent domain law and civil rights law in Texas. Uh, He also served on many important public service boards, so he has a great deal of experience uh, in the public space as well as in the legal space. He was uh, on the board of the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, We've had representatives from the Anti-Defamation League on our podcast before, one of the most important organizations uh, combating hate in our society. He also served, Steve did, on the uh, board of the Texas Tribune, which is one of the most important news organizations covering state news in the country. Throughout his career, uh, Steve Adler has been widely recognized both at the city level in legal circles and public service circles for his innovative ideas, his leadership, and his hard work. And I also just have to say that uh, he's someone who takes ideas and democracy seriously. He certainly proved that as mayor of Austin, and uh, we'll learn a lot from from our discussion with him today. Uh, Before we turn to that discussion, we have, of course, uh, Mr. Zachary's scene-setting poem. What's the title of your poem today, Zachary? The title is For My City As It Was Three Years Ago. Let's hear it. The silent streets awake to find a town still waiting to reclaim its silenced heart, to rouse and seize again its violet crown, and to begin again its thousand starts. Here where it all begins and nothing dies, the music's ended, yet we dance in place. The nurses count the dead in tired sighs, still hope does seem to blossom on your face. Old city where I've danced away the years, this must be one more of your new rebirths, another striving through new sets of fears, another excess to redeem the dearths. But you should know that it's okay to cry, much better, in fact, than just rushing by. (laughs) I like that a lot. You capture the spirit of cities, Zachary. What is your poem about? My poem is about uh, trying to uh, come to terms with the experience of of living in in a big city like Austin, uh, such a dynamic city, um, as it was uh, silenced and and made still by by the pandemic uh, three years ago, and and a stillness that lasted for many years, uh, and and one that was marked by tragedy in many ways. 
um, and and trying to come to terms with 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 that reality and that experience that we've all had, but also the ways in which we, I think, as a city, have tried to rush past that and, and maybe mm. have not taken mm. the the necessary time mm. to reflect on that moment mm. and 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 what we lost. Sure, sure. I think that's well said, and and everyone has their their own trauma from that period. Uh, Steve, your your reaction to that poem. Well, I, well, I love this poem as I love the body of uh, Zachary's work. Uh, you know, the other thing that I thought came through for that was the recognition that, that we live in a city uh, where, of course, everyone loves Austin that lives here mostly, and they love mostly the, the first day they got here. So everyone's always lamenting the fact that Austin's not <laughs> what it was when they did. But I thought that it's actually really captured the fact that this is a city that's gone through a thousand starts. Yeah. Uh, and and it really says something when one is growing so much, but everybody who comes here thinks that this is now the, 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 the best time in this city. And and I think that's that's true. There's something in the water or the air that gives us a culture or a view that's different. Uh, and that has remained consistent even through the last several years, and we'll continue forward, I hope, and maintain our magic. Right. And and it's so well said, Steve. Uh, you came to Austin um, many years ago uh, from the East Coast, and uh, you, you did not run for mayor to try to take Austin back t- to your first day, right? Wh- why did you run for mayor in 2014? Well, I, you know, I ran for, for mayor in, in, in part that... Uh, um, the people that we were trying to encourage to run for mayor all said no. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how that happens. We thirty days before we we announced, we had never Diane and I had never even talked about running for mayor. Uh, but you recall at that time the city was moving from an at-large council, which is what we had been historically, to one with district representation. The council was doubling in size. Virtually all, if not all, of the council members would be new. Uh, there was such a, a white board, a, a clean slate, an opportunity to create new culture. Uh, we just wanted the city to really maximize that opportunity. We went out and recruited a group of us, people that might have made for great mayors. And there were several, and they all said no. So eventually we kind of locked ourselves in a room and said, somebody has to stop what they're doing and go do this. And Diane and I drew the the short straw. You led the city um, through some some very uh, interesting times, to say the least. Uh, what do you think was was the biggest challenge in that uh, almost decade that you, that you led the city? Well, I tell you, we dealt with a lot of challenges. And I think not only in this city, but in cities across the country, there was so much, um, um, there were so many crises uh, and and challenges. Uh, But I I think probably if you had to pick one, it would have to be COVID uh, because that really took, you know, over two years of of my two uh, four-year terms. I was the one that threatened the most lives, was the most disruptive. Um, but, you know, in, in Austin, we were able to achieve a mortality rate that was less than half of the state's mortality rate generally, less than half of the country's mortality rate. If, if the state of Texas had the same mortality rate during COVID as the city of Austin, almost 50,000 Texans would still be alive. 
so that I think was our our, our biggest um, biggest challenge. And how did you deal with that, Steve? What was it like on a day-to-day basis, if you can describe that for us, to, to be mayor? I, I think a lot of us experienced COVID in very personal and private ways. You had a great deal of public responsibility. Yeah, you know, Diane and I were just talking about that the, the, the other day, and that a lot of the experiences that people had during COVID, uh, we missed. Um you know, we were not the, the, the frontline workers, uh, the instructional workers are having to deal with uh, the risks uh, and, and, and the enormous number of deaths in, in our, you know, our family. Um, we also, uh, you know, were not among that large group of folks that were able to have huge amounts of time to be able to binge watch uh, Netflix. Uh, so we, we missed out on that too. The, the, the job for, for me was pretty much, uh, you know, seven in the morning to 10 or 11 at night for, for, for over a year. Um, there were so many unknowns uh, when it started. Uh, we were, you know, cutting new ground when we closed down South By. Uh, it was the first significant closing like that in a community back in the, the first few days of March of, of 2020. Uh, it was, it was, you know, an opportunity to really live the, the, the cultural values of uh, engagement uh, in, in creating a broad tent because everybody was trying to figure this out to, to be able to bring people together to, to plan and, and work together. It, it meant we really had to live the, the cultural values of transparency. Uh, to get information out uh, as quickly as we had it, as accurately as we could, because one, everybody was, you know, living with such great uncertainties, uh, but also some of our best ideas were coming from places that we could never have anticipated. Uh, it obviously was incredibly disruptive and, and changed lives and has continued. Those changes persist today. Uh, but for for me in the city, uh, there were such a, a large team uh, that, frankly, uh, from the time the bell went off, really didn't get uh, a day or, or a moment off for a, for a really long period of time. You were also mayor during a period of, of great political turmoil um, in, in our national politics and in our state politics, and, and certainly in our city politics as well. But could you describe maybe for, for our listeners who don't necessarily follow Austin city politics or, or their own city's politics uh, very closely, what it was like uh, to be engaged in political discussions at, at such a local level while these uh, these uh, larger political uh, fights and, and political uh, issues were, were playing out nationwide? You know, that's, that's a, both a good question and observation, really, um, because this was uh, a unique period where the, 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 the challenges being presented with such immediacy uh, were, so, were so great, and, and so many of those challenges dovetailed with what were the growing uh, political partisan wedge issues. You know, we we were dealing with COVID and, and whether or not to take vaccines suddenly became an incredibly political issue. Uh, wearing masks, incredibly political issue. 
even in a society that required vaccines for, for most children when they're starting school. Um, the George Floyd summer of, of unrest uh, became the question of how to the best deal with public safety became, again, a very, very political and partisan issue. And it made leading and, and, and communities moving forward very, very difficult because everything was immediately reduced to a, to a, to a partisan place. And when you're trying to, to really foster meaningful, important conversations about what communities do to, to best protect themselves and protect a quality of life and maximize everyone's potential, to have almost every conversation quickly devolve into something that is really designed to raise money uh, for uh, political uh, uh, events, uh, to, to organize people, political uh, uh, or, organizing. It makes having the conversations that a community needs to have very difficult. Uh, and, and that's what I remember most about those moments is that you almost want to just turn down the volume and pull you know a million people into a room and say okay all this stuff's going out going on outside i know it's happening but but we actually have to get together to talk through these issues and they're not easy and there's not a lot of precedent and and everyone in this room is coming here with good faith intending to to, to help one another because we are a community just a group of neighborhoods but those conversations very very difficult to engage in, given the, the politics and the partisanship that enveloped us. So you were mayor, Steve, during the later years of the Obama administration and the first term of the, uh, the only term of the Trump presidency. And without getting into the differences in the two presidents' politics, uh, and maybe it's hard not to get into this, can you describe the, the, the ways in which the city interacted with the federal government in one administration versus the other? Was there a, a difference in the operations and in the nature of cooperation from one administration to another? Very much so. Uh, and and, I, and I'll try to do this without reflecting on any policies, uh, but just the, the, the dynamics of the operations. Uh, in uh, President Obama's administration, uh, the, the cities uh, were being supported at, at every turn. This would be blue cities, red cities. The Intergovernment Relations Office in the White House was uh, actively involved in helping cities deal with the challenges that, that they were identifying as the, the, the most serious uh, for them, poverty, education issues, housing issues, uh, transportation uh, issues. Um, I would say that from where I sat, um, the, the administration was, was a constant value add helping to facilitate what the local community here were trying to, to get done and deal with. Very different in the next administration, President Trump's administration, um, there was less effort to try to empower uh, cities. In fact, there almost seemed to be a, a, a war against cities that developed very quickly. 
over uh, uh, initially probably over over immigration and, and refugee uh, issues, uh, and we were no longer getting the kind of the value add support that we had actually uh, become used to to getting. Um, and there was a lot less contact, a lot of hmm. were hmm. people that seemed to be working in the administration to bring support. I remember very early in, in President Trump's term uh, going to Washington to speak with our attorney general, along with a handful of other mayors around the country, uh, because we were dealing with threats to cut off aid to cities that were designated uh, as... as, as uh, Safe places for for refugees to sanctuaries. I think correct? that's right. Sanctuary cities with a ill-defined term, um, and cities that you know were not trying and were not breaking any federal laws. Uh, we were immediately put on the defensive, and suddenly found ourselves dealing with questions that suddenly had national intrigue as opposed to being able to deal with the uh, affordability and transportation issues that uh, our community wanted local government, most local communities wanted their governments to be, to be working on. It was a very stark difference, I believe, in the support that, that cities got, but also just the perception of, of cities. Why do you think there is such hostility in some parts of our country and in one party in particular toward cities again you know back to where we started so many of the most dynamic places in the united states and in the world are cities so many of the most productive interesting people of all political and ethnic varieties are in cities why such hostility you know, I, I agree with you, uh, Jeremy. You know, I, I'm you know I'm a I'm a lover of, of cities. Uh, you know, regardless of, of political persuasion, I just think that cities are the real incubators of innovation in our country. They're the real engine rooms of economic development. These these things happen at a local level, and being able to use cities to test new ideas that you know if they can work, they can be brought. To, to other cities around the country or even to national governance, I think is an incredibly important role for, for cities. Uh, but at some point, uh, cities became the kind of the, the, the enemy. I remember our lieutenant governor, uh, Texas lieutenant governor, on a news show at one point, um, was celebrating the number of state houses that had gone to the Republican Party, uh, both governors and, and legislators. And he made the comment that, that the only thing wrong in the country today were uh, Democratic mayors and city councils. Um, and, and, and that sense of hostility, I think, was, was very real. I'm not sure, Jeremy, why that happened. I do know, notice, as I'm sure everyone does, that the difference between the way rural areas are voting in this country versus the way uh, urban areas are voting. Uh, and, and um, you know, the divide seems to be almost less generational and more geographical. Um, 
I know that, that in our community, in the Austin area, it used to be Austin is the city against most of the surrounding more rural areas. But now as the city's growing, as those cities are growing, then we have more in common. Um, you know, that, that divide in our community, at least locally, is, 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 is disappearing. But at the national level, in the state level in Texas, I think it's, I think it's political. Uh, I think it's a continuation of the rural-urban split. As you hinted at, I, I think uh, cities are in some ways the, the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to, to federalism. Uh, what do you think is the role of, of a city, uh, and particularly the, the, the city mayor, uh, in, in, in our broader democratic uh, discourse? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put us at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I again, you know, I think that when you look at uh, where real innovation is coming from, uh, it, it's coming from from small businesses and small companies, from people that have really good ideas uh, that are being able to to really grow them. Uh, in the in the uh, laboratory that are that are cities, so much of the of the real economic engines, the economic development engines, the the job creation are happening in our in our in our cities. Uh, so I think that that cities are real important, and you know, city leadership is the leadership that is closest to the people. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't go out of town as mayor to serve. I, 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 go, I go downtown. I run into my constituents all the time in the grocery store, and no one is afraid to, to come up to me to talk about a pothole or a parking right. problem. That they, they tell you what they think, right? They, they, they think immediately. And not only that, but I think at the local level, people actually expect local government to, to, to do work. To get things done, I think we've gotten to the place at some level where we kind of look at our federal government and, and our state government in many states, and we just, you know, we, we just don't expect anything beyond the, the gridlock and the partisan um, um, bickering that, that goes on, but not at the city level. At the city level, people recognize that impacts their lives on a daily basis, and they expect you know, the water to run and the power to come on and they expect for things to happen. You know, I think that being mayor of cities is the best job in the world. Uh, it is the ability to be able to impact people's lives at scale in a very uh, immediate uh, and, and, and tangible way. There are different kinds of mayors in different cities around the country. Uh, because personalities are different, but even beyond that, just the, the 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 position itself differs around the country. Uh, some mayors uh, are the chief executive officers of their cities uh, and have great power to to, to wield. Um, and you see those mayors doing great work. And in in many of our cities. Uh, the mayor is, is less the CEO and more the, the chairman of the board. And the council is kind of like a policy board. And there's a professional manager who comes in as the chief operating officer or the chief executive uh, officer. But even in those governments, which is the former government we have in Austin, 
the mayor has some pretty special powers. Uh, the power to be able to convene. Uh, as mayor, I could convene a group of people, call them up and say, hey, come and talk about this, this challenge. And usually when the mayor uh, would call, people would, would come. So I could get people together that might not be otherwise meeting and talking to, to one another. That's an incredibly important power. Mayor has the the, the power to 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 um, uh, use the, the 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 bully pulpit because whether or not I was the chief executive officer of the city or not, my many of my constituents and not most of my constituents thought that I was right, and that comes with both you know being held accountable for things you're not responsible for but it also gives you the ability to really use the bully pulpit to talk to the community to engage with the community and to be able to to provide direction uh, to a community and finally uh, as mayor I'm able to command media attention which corresponds I guess to that second point but you know unlike even my colleague council members if if I wanted to to say something and have the, the the journalists there and the TV cameras and the radio microphones, uh, I could I could command that media attention, and that was also a real considerable power. One of the topics we've talked about uh, a number of times on our podcast, Steve, uh, is the history of cities and the role that they played, particularly in the progressive era, just a hundred years ago, in actually being the laboratories for policy innovation. You, you talked about cities as incubators of innovation. Most people think of that in the context now of technology uh, and medicine, perhaps. Uh, but in the early 20th century, it was cities that invented many of the forms of social insurance, many of the um, worker safety laws, many of the educational functions we see. Uh, the public high school was invented in American cities, for example. Uh, do you see cities playing that role today in, in a moment when our policy world seems so stalemated, as you said? Do you see cities as, as a route to policy innovation? Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's still happening. You know, it, it might be harder uh, as uh, too many of the state and um, uh, federal leaders would kind of engage in this war against cities, I do think you still see that. You see the, the social service uh, organizations that are out on the street uh, building new ways to, to, to help people. Um, you see that in, in the way transportation projects are are uh, accomplished and you see it in the smart city technologies uh, that are being that are being uh, uh, implemented you know the it's it's interesting i i had the the great honor and an opportunity to to really get to know mayors from across the country Uh, and we were talking to each other all the time you know, on my speed dial, I'd have this group of 20 mayors, another one, that group of 20 mayors, and we're constantly sharing and, and quite frankly, stealing from, from one another anything that, that works. But we were all invested in each other's success uh, because, quite frankly, our success in part depended on some other city figuring something else out that then I could steal and do in, in, in Austin. 
Uh, and it, not just nationally. Uh, you know, I was able to develop along with, you know, uh, many of my colleagues around the country, real significant relationships with cities internationally. Uh, so, you know, in, in, in some respects, as I watch what's happening on the world stage, you know, I wonder if even though there's great effort to, to reduce the power and, and scope and range of, of cities within our country, I wonder if cities internationally are in their ascendancy uh, as cities can communicate and, and cooperate with one another uh, without regard to nation states. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good thing. And, and just following on that excellent point, Steve, did you think of your time as mayor as being a global figure or a national figure? You know, first and foremost, as a local figure, because uh, I think that's inherent in, in local levels of, of, of government. But beyond that, I, I did see uh, myself as a, as a national and global player. I'm not sure one of them any more than the, than the other. Uh, but I was involved, you know, in the decisions I made. I, you know, it's very rare for, for anybody to be making a decision as a mayor that some other city hasn't already dealt with, uh, if not exactly, then, then, then similarly. There's so many lessons to be learned by people that had experiences. And, and, you know, you don't want cities to have to make the same mistake twice. If I could learn from other people, I wanted to. But there are great organizations that would bring mayors to, together uh, in addition to just seeking each other out. And on the international level, the, the involvement in organizations like C40 and the climate change cities, the ability to participate at the, at the COP meetings on climate change and be with mayors. You know, when I went, I think it was 2016 when the Paris Accords were signed, uh, and I went to that meeting uh, in Paris. And of course, everyone knows the the, the, the the treaties that were signed by the states, 160 of them or something, uh, to, to really make the first big international play for climate change mitigation. Uh, half of what the nation states agreed to do was work that had to be done at the local level, the right. city level or the county level or the regional level. Half of it had to be done, done, done locally. And at that meeting in Paris, there was the largest collection of mayors gathered in one place, I think, in the history of the world. Wow. Um, there were almost 800 mayors uh, from around the world gathered together, and we signed our own compact uh, there. So, so I think that in a city like Austin, which is cutting edge and innovative and, and creative and, and, and artistic and entrepreneurial, uh, I really believe that, that our city has a responsibility to help provide that, that national and uh, international leadership. It's so important you say that because so many uh, 
young people who are interested in helping and furthering the process of d democratic change uh, in our society and elsewhere, they tend to think at the state level, they think about international organizations, um, they think at the national level, they often don't think about cities as key actors. And, and I think you're reminding us that perhaps on some of the issues that matter most to many people, environmental issues, issues of inequality, cities might be ground zero for where change has to occur. I think that's real true. And I, incidentally, you talk about your students. I remember being in law school and, and the value I put on a federal court district court right. holding right. versus a local state court right. night and day. Absolutely. Uh, and that was not real. That was something that I, that was a bias I came in with. I think it's still a bias that law students have. I think everyone wants the federal clerkships, right? Because they're more prestigious. Uh, but many of the key issues, as, as you point out, Steve, might be decided in the municipal and state courts uh, right right now. In fact, if you're looking to have an immediate impact on the quality of life for people and uh, you know people's daily lives, no place to go other than, than local governance. Well, and shout out to all of those hardworking, uh, mostly nonpartisan judges in those in those roles. Steve, we always like to close uh, with uh, an effort to take this uh, historical reflection that we've been able to share and to, to learn from you with uh, and, and really apply it to our society as we go forward. Uh, what are the lessons, and I'm sure there are many of them, so maybe give us a few of the most important lessons that young people who are listening should take from your experiences as they think about their own careers in cities, hopefully as mayors and city council people, and even just as citizens in cities, what are some of the lessons they should take? Well, you know, I think that even in the conversation that we've had the last 30 minutes, you know, we, we've, and we, we've really uh, highlighted the fact that uh, cities are special creations. Uh, and because they are so close to to people, uh, it's the it's the level of governance and functionality that that communities feel like they can most impact. Uh, and I think that's the reason why uh, cities, because of that kind of democratization that happens at that level as opposed to higher levels, it really is where where the quality of people's lives is determined. So. I would urge um, more folks to, to really get involved in their local communities where they can have a real impact. I would say that being mayor was the most fulfilling, meaningful, affirming uh, experience uh, I have ever had. And I hear that from virtually every one of my colleague mayors. Um, and, I, and I would urge people to, to really consider running for, for local office or for mayor. Because uh, I think that, that it, it's such a wonderful experience. Substantively, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot about change and the dynamics of change uh, in, in being mayor in a way that I probably hadn't really thought about before. Uh, there's always the push for short-term change to, to be able to respond most quickly to, to, to constituents. Sometimes that's good if there's a, a fire, you know, in the, in the building. But, but oftentimes the short-term solution, like the, the short-term, you know, 
pursuit of dividends for companies rather than long-term growth and profitability is is real. Uh, and it's hard in, uh, in, in elective office to really focus on uh, the things that can happen that will really substantially uh, impact people's lives over time. The, the change dynamic of disruptive leadership versus incremental leadership. We've all heard that change happens at the speed of, at the speed of trust. Uh, and lots of books uh, written on the, the importance of building coalitions and moving slowly. Uh, and all that is true. But I would also balance that with the fact that if you really want to have an impact and change things that have been institutionalized, uh, that sometimes it's going to require disruptive change, disruptive leadership, uh, just like we see in terms of changing uh, uh, business models and, and, and economies today, but in government as well. Uh, we're going to need disruptive leadership and change. I had hoped that the George Floyd summer was going to give us that for, yep. for racial justice issues, uh, but not enough disruptive follow-up uh, happened. Uh, but here in Austin, we went through all the disruption of, of homelessness. And, and while we've still left scars for that, we've, we've actually raised almost a half a billion dollars. And now Austin, I think, may be one of the first cities in the country to actually end homelessness if we can carry through. Uh, scale is important. You know, my, my experience has been that uh, people will support change if they think it's big enough or new enough or meaningful enough to actually change things. Uh, that, that, that sometimes there's frustration with the government and the safety of, 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 of going small um, and often perceived as being less risk. I, I think that our experience in Austin over the last eight years is we were infinitely more successful in building coalitions and getting things done when we, when we went big. Right. Uh, and engage people's imaginations. Right. I think that's true. I think as a historian observing this, I think that's right. When you're visionary and uh, you reach out to the most people with a compelling vision, I think you can get the most done. I think that's absolutely right. Zachary, I wanted to turn to you as, as we close here. Um, you've been listening to what um, Steve has said, and you've also watched him as, as mayor, and you've watched your mom on the city council also. Uh, does your experience watching city governance in action, watching democracy at the city level, does it make you and other uh, individuals of your generation, does it make you more excited about what cities can be, or is it actually more of a cautionary tale? I, I think it makes us all excited because I think in some ways cities are the, 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 the best exemplar of, of, of American pluralism and, and how competing interests uh, and, and people's very personal uh, and often mundane uh, problems and crises, uh, from the power being out to the to the to the streets not being paved, uh, how how that how 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 people coming together around those kinds of small issues can actually have a broader impact on a community, and also can fit into a broader vision of what a community should be. And I think that that offers a space for for young people who are dissatisfied with the the hateful nature of. Of, of national politics, not not that local politics aren't bitter, um, but that I think people are invested in a way that they often don't realize until something goes wrong. So you remain optimistic, Zachary, even yes. even seeing people say nasty things about your mom and about Steve. Yes, <laughs> and Steve, you're optimistic. You know, uh, I'm I'm 
I'm optimistic on all the measures that we talked about, and I'm sure you'll have another show where you talk about disinformation and the growing loss of faith in institutions. Um, If I have concerns, it's in those two areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and those are areas where we, we have talked about those issues, but there's, of course, more to be said. And perhaps cities are also ground zero for rebuilding trust in institutions, Steve, right? I believe that to be true. Thank you so much, uh, Mayor Steve Adler, for joining us today. Uh, We've had all kinds of guests on this show of all levels and of all areas of prestige, and it's really been wonderful having the opportunity to talk to you because you've been so close to so many of the issues uh, that so many of our guests and so many of our listeners uh, really care about. And I think you've left an important mark, and uh, we've learned a lot talking with you, and we hope we'll have you back on at some point, too. Uh, Thank you so much, Steve. I enjoyed it. Thank you, thank you, uh, Jeremy. Thank you, Zachary. Zachary, thank you for your uh, thoughtful poem and your wonderful questions, as always. And thank you most of all to our loyal listeners for joining us for this week of This Is Democracy. This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts ITS Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harris Codini. Stay tuned for a new episode every week. You can find This is Democracy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. See you next time.